This is your moment. Your moment to move forward and make progress. It's time to see where an education can take you. For over 130 years, Strayer University has been at the forefront of change, offering programs that help students like you get ahead and stay ahead, so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEF. In these winter months, consider TripInsurance.com to cover your next cruise investment. Buy direct from the leading insurers and save up to 40% or more on comparable plans from the other sites. Get a quote today and save from TripInsurance.com. Okay, stand by. Broadcasting aboard Holland America Line's MS Cider Dam. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, I'm Matt Basford. On this show, we'll link up with Doug Parker, who is aboard Holland America's MS Cider Dam. He'll have an exclusive with the captain of the ship. Ask about Panama Canal operations and their new stringent lifeboat drills aboard Holland America's vessels. But first, Stuart here on the Cruise Guy. Hello, Stuart. Hey, Matt. Viking River Cruises announced late last week they're ordering six new ships on top of the six this year. What's, uh, what is this saying exactly about river cruising? Are we starting to, to see a shift? Well, I don't know if you see a shift. I mean, it's actually it's an impossibility to see a shift. Uh, considering these ships only hold 150 people. (laughs) But uh, what it is saying, that river cruising is becoming uh, more popular, which is fantastic. But, you know, at at some point you're going to have some river log jams uh, with all these uh, longboats traversing the major rivers of the world. But uh, it it is another way for people to experience many of the world's best cities that uh, are not accessible uh, by the ocean cruise ships. And, uh, you know, to get more people out on boats, it's terrific. Port Everglades broke uh, another another passenger record over the weekend. Uh, what kind of numbers were they seeing? And do, do you think Port Everglades will ever become the cruise capital of the world? Well, that's a great question. And um, the reality is we don't know if the record from 2010 uh, was exceeded. We just know that uh, they were anticipating the possibility, which is the third time that uh, Port Everglades was hoping to, surpassed the record. They did have eight ships in port uh, on Saturday, which would have been the day, but uh, they're still tabulating those numbers. And as far as whether or not it's going to become the cruise capital of the world, uh, right now it uh, looks like there's uh, the Port of Miami is uh, running away with it right now. They're still, uh, you know, the cruise capital of the world. Uh, they had over, it was a little over about 400,000 passenger difference last year, which isn't much. But, uh, you know, they had uh, several ships, uh, cruise lines uh, as well, uh, moving uh, to Port of Miami this year. And, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen over the next few years, but um, it doesn't look like it's going to happen over the next uh, several years. Selfishly, I hope it does become the cruise capital because it's a hell of a lot closer than Miami to Jacksonville. Oh, sure. I'm sure that 30-minute drive makes a big difference. But uh, I know you're pulling for Jacksonville. Uh, Pr- Princess Cruises uh, had a snag last week with the Caribbean Princess. What happened, and, and, and how long is she out for? Well, there, there were some propulsion issues, which unfortunately caused the ship to have to go back to port, cancel the remainder of that cruise, and then um, it was serious enough that they knew they had to cancel the next two cruises. So uh, it's, it's unfortunate that the March 18th and March 25th sailings were canceled, but a lot of those passengers were able to find accommodation on other ships, and Princess was very generous in uh, helping to cover the fees of changing the flight so passengers could make uh, their vacations on other cruise lines. And speaking of Princess, they announced their uh, European sailings for 2013 and some pretty 
pretty cool itineraries. Are, are we seeing the European market increasing? Well, the, there, there's so many places to go in the Euro, in Europe, Matt. That uh, more more ships are certainly going to be going out there uh, over the next several years, uh, but doing different different types of itineraries than what we may see today. There'll be new ports opening up, and uh, you know they're following along the lines of many of the other cruise lines as Europe continues to uh, grow in popularity. Uh, Carnival Corporation said last week they were going to invest 150 million dollars well, in Mexican ports. What's your take? Our uh, Pinocchio friends uh, down there uh, south of the border. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not really uh, exactly what happened. Uh, they wanted uh, Carnival to show uh, some support. So what Carnival offered them, they offered them a letter expressing uh, their appreciation for their efforts. And that was presented to the Mexican tourism organizations and, uh, and also stating the company's interest in possible investments of 150 million in ports uh, in Calica and Puerto Cortez, which is an island on the west coast. Calica is on the mainland, uh, about six miles uh, south of um, Playa del Carmen on uh, the east side of uh, Mexico. Um, but uh, the last time Carnival uh, attempted to do uh, Calica, which would have been great because people could fly in and out of uh, Cancun, they were met with overwhelming opposition to the plan because the hoteliers felt that it was a it would be it would cause quite a strain on available air seats which would send already high uh, airline ticket prices through the roof which would cause uh, occupancy problems for the hotels uh, in the Cancun and Riviera Maya so that just never uh, ha- so this this plan just never uh, came through but uh, you know Carnival look they're 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 a big supporter of of Mexico but uh, there there's nothing uh, on the horizon all right, as always, Stuart, it is such a great pleasure. It, it's a pleasure to, uh, to be here with you, Matt, and hopefully I can see you guys soon. This is Cruise Radio. For over 42 years, Park West Gallery has introduced over 1.3 million people to fine art. Here's what actual customers are saying. I've been collecting with Park West five, six years now. Six years. Nine years. Ten years. Everybody we meet at Park West makes you feel comfortable. You're part of their family. It is an exciting and fun experience. It is enjoyable, uplifting. Park West has been so kind to us. Park West makes us excited to spend money on art. To find out more about Park West Gallery, visit parkwestgallery.com or go to cruiseradio.net and click on the Park West Gallery icon. It's not just a good idea to have travel insurance during the winter months or hurricane season. Every travel agent or travel expert we talk to says it is a very smart idea to always travel with travel insurance. That's why you should check the folks out at TripInsurance.com. They have exclusive products from the leading travel insurers that you won't find anywhere else. Yeah, they are the low-cost leader in travel insurance with savings up to 40% or more when you compare similar coverage from other sources. What plan do you want to go with? Good, better, or better? They have coverage in all three categories that make it easy to find the right insurance plan for your budget. You know what defines great customer service? Actually being able to talk to a human being, and they do that at TripInsurance.com. They are committed to great customer service with 24-7 telephone support before, during, and after your trip. You can also file claims online right on their website, and they keep you posted of any travel alerts that could affect your travels or safety at your destination. Check them out right now. TripInsurance.com. 
This is Cruise Radio. Joining us now aboard the MS Zyder Dam is Captain Emil DeVries. Captain, welcome to Cruise Radio, sir. Thank you. Nice having you here. How does one go from growing up in Holland to working on this awesome ship? Because you have a beautiful ship here, by the way, sir. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, yeah, how does it start? As, as everyone uh, in their teenage years, you at some point have to take a decision of what you're going to do in life, professionally spoken. So when I was about 17, 18 years old, I decided to go to the Nautical Academy in Amsterdam. Incidentally, the, the oldest academy, actually, uh, in the world, cool. uh, about 400 years old, I think it is now. And uh, it's a four-year uh, education you do there. I did uh, the navigation side of things, but I also did uh, marine engineering at the same time. I did my internship with Holland America Line, and then about 15 years ago, I, uh, I started off here as a fourth officer. And, uh, well, worked my way up the ranks, as they call it, and, uh, and here I am today on this, on this great ship. Yeah, absolutely. Holland America has, what, 15 ships. How many of these ships have you been captain of? I've done uh, Rotterdam, Amsterdam, New Amsterdam, and this is the Zuiderdam, so this is my fourth ship. Okay, cool. So we're on a 10-night cruise in the Panama Canal, which is one of the um, biggest engineering marvels. As a captain, what does that mean to you, sailing through such a part of history? Yeah, it, it, it is interesting. There is, uh, and, and I hope you get to, to, to sense that tomorrow mm-hmm. a little bit as well. You'll, you'll find that you, you sail through a bit of history there. I know that sounds a little hard to define, but, but you'll see it. it. You can tell on one hand it was built, you know, 100 years ago. On the other hand, technically it's very sound. It's just mm-hmm. perfect, but it, it, has, it has this atmosphere of, of, of the time that it was actually built. And it is, uh, it's an interesting day. I thoroughly enjoy it always going through there. There's a lot happening all day long. And, uh, yeah, you have all the processes. You, you sail into, uh, into Cristobal, which is very busy. Mm-hmm. A lot of ships uh, have to pass through the canal, of course. And then you, you sort of seamlessly fit into the schedule at some point, and you see all the ships line up, and in you go to the locks. It's, it's this whole process of, of, of going through there, arriving there in the morning, which, uh, which makes it very interesting, yeah. actually, yeah, definitely. Sure. Someone who's listening and who may not understand the process, can you explain that? The thing is that they searched, of course, for a piece of land which was as narrow as possible to connect the Atlantic side and the Pacific side with each other. What they essentially did, they filled up a mountain range with water, essentially, yeah. but the issue is it's higher than sea level. So what you have to do as you get in, you get into uh, a series of locks that you sail into, and that raises the, uh, the ship to the lake level, and then you sail across to the other side, you get into locks over there as well. Actually, there's a set of locks in between, in the middle, about the middle as well. But you get essentially to the other side, and there you step down again to Pacific level, and out you sail. So that is how they, how they do that. And the, the lake, uh, basically, it's just fat from, from rainwater, from rivers that, that end up in the lake, and they regulate that that level to be more or less constant. Mm-hmm. So uh, the locks, you know, are always working, if you will. Otherwise, if that would change all the time, the locks wouldn't be any right. good. So they keep that that lake level at one level, but it's higher than either side uh, of the Panama Canal. So you go up first, sail to the other side, and down you go again uh, with the locks. So the Panama Canal. There are other canals that you've gone through uh, with a, a large cruise ship, and what are the differences that makes the Panama Canal special? Well, the, the difference is, uh, is that you have the locks. That lock system is different. Uh, you have the Suez Canal where you don't have that. It's just a, a narrow channel that, that, you, that you sail through in, in convoy with ships because it, it's limited space. But you don't have this, this, this awesome sight of 
going up, you know, it's almost like you're going up the stairs. And by the right. time you get to the end, to the last lock chamber, you look back and you're actually looking down of where you were an hour ago. It's, it's really quite a sight. On the uh, maritime side, has there been many changes since the U.S. lost control of the canal as far as going um, back and forth? No, not so much, I'll be honest with you. What, what always amazed me with, with, the, with the volume of traffic that they handle is how well organized it is, mm-hmm. really. It, it's always very smooth. I mean, obviously, you can arrive, and if one ship... Uh, goes a little slower in and out of the locks than anticipated. Yeah, everybody gets backed up a little bit, but it's never an issue. It, that may happen, but other than that, it always works like clockwork. To be honest. Yeah. Do they do they charge like a fare like um, like per tonnage or something going through there? Yeah, tonnage and length as well. And uh, you'll find I don't know all the exact sure. amounts, but but you'll hear uh, tomorrow there'll be a narrator. There's somebody has swam through it. And I seem to remember they charged him about 70 cents or, or something along those lines. I know whenever these ships go into different foreign ports of call or U.S. ports, a uh, river pilot is required as kind of a navigational aid. Are there river pilots taking you through the Panama Canal each step of the way? Yeah, affirmative. Uh, not so much each step on the way uh, of the way. If you, if you look at a ship like this, for mm-hmm. instance, we are uh, over 900 feet long. Uh, we actually get three pilots on board. As we sail in, we get the first one, and as we approach the locks, we get two others. And as we go into the locks, there'll be a pilot on each of the bridge wing and one at the stern of the ship. And as you will see tomorrow, once we go into the locks and go through the various chambers, the ship is actually connected with five, uh, pardon, four uh, locomotives on each side, mm-hmm. eight altogether. And since the size of the ship is so large... It's a little hard to for one pilot to communicate with all uh, the locomotives. So there's one gentleman on the stern and one on each side of the ship on the bridge. And what these locomotives do, they connect to the ship with steel wires, and they essentially keep the ship in the center of, okay. of, of the chamber. Uh, going ahead and astern, I control that with our propulsion. Occasionally I may help correcting a little bit if we go over to one side a little bit. But a, a ship this size, it's the maximum size Panama Canal can take width-wise. We only have two feet on each side as we go through well, through the locks on the on the 930 feet ship. That 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 is you know, pretty narrow. So, and so there's, and I could be saying this completely wrong, but ships, it's a, they have to be Panamax compliant. Is that correct? Where they have to be a certain, the beam has to be a certain width, and the length has to be, it can't be over because cruise ships are huge these days. Not any cruise ship can just sail through this thing, right? No, that that, that is correct. Yeah, we are only seventy feet under the maximum length. Okay, that's uh, about a thousand feet. And uh, then you have the, that's uh, the length, but then there's also the width and this ship. And you, you can think uh, more or less in terms of, uh, yeah, of about 100 feet beam, then, then you're pretty close to, to the Panamax, basically. So 1,000 yes. by 100 feet. The only exceptions I believe they have made is for some big United States Navy vessels where they sort of, they were slightly bigger, I believe, but as long as they fitted, they, they were allowed through, I, I think. Uh, but, the locks. But, yeah. <laughs> but that, that has happened, I believe. But, but for normal ships, and, and when you're on that maximum size, indeed, you're right, we call it a Panamax ship. Okay. It's sort of an abbreviation for maximum Panama Canal size. I noticed whenever we were pulling into, I think it was Aruba, we had a heck of a wind across us. Is there any limitations to what the ship can use, like, um, I guess, max limitations, whatever you'd call it? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Although uh, the, the, the question, and I'll, I'll answer it shortly, yes, there is. You can hold the ship up against the wind 
uh, maybe perhaps to about uh, 34, 35 knots of wind. But, uh, but the, the question is not only that. It is also the layout of the port and whatnot. You, you need to keep safety margins in mind. Uh, what sort of maneuver do you have to perform? Uh, there are certain maneuvers that you may not be able to perform when the wind is less than 30 knots, for instance. So it, it, it's a whole range of, of things that that, uh, that influence that. But just to hold the ship up, the, the wind, 35 knots on these ships is, is the maximum. But as you can imagine, if you're lying still holding it up against the wind, that also means you cannot go anywhere anymore. Right. So generally you'll see 35 knots of wind in, in some ports that you cannot safely get in them. I've got to say, you're one heck of a parallel parker. When you're uh, pushing the ship in or out, are you doing that by sight, or is there like lasers on under the water that are telling you how far you are from the pier? Um, it, it is not as, as fancy as lasers, but uh, but you use a whole lot of information at, okay. at, at the time. But almost invariably I will do it manually. I control each pot and the thrusters manually. At the, at the same time, you're dependent on various bits of information. You, you keep an eye on the wind. Uh, you, you know what the currents are doing mm-hmm. with your ship. So that is something so you can an- anticipate certain motions of the, of the ship. But there's also on the front of the ship and the back of the ship on our mooring decks, as we call them, there's a deck officer there that can assist me, about, and we're in contact with them with, uh, with the radio, that can assist me what certain distances are and how far we have to go, for instance. And then, yeah, we, we go to those bridge wings, those little protruding parts on the side of the ship, mm-hmm. on the front there, where I can look along the hull of the ship. And that is where I would typically stand as we come alongside, and then I can, can see what the ship is doing and correct for it and, and, and bring her alongside like okay. that. So Aruba was very smooth. Mm-hmm. There was a tremendous wind when I was standing up top. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you rate that as like a moderate docking? Was that a very challenging one, or was that very simple? It's hard to say. I never allow myself to, to call any maneuver simple, to be honest. Fair but but uh, it is one, you've you got to be a little bit on your toes there, if, if you know what I mean, because sure. that wind is definitely a big factor. And as you get into the port... Uh, there's also a cross current right in front of the entrance. Those are things that you have to keep in mind. So you actually come in a little fast, a little hot, if you will, so the wind has a little bit less effect on mm. you. But it also means that you've got to slow down fairly quickly once, you, once you're inside. So that's all things you have to plan for really carefully and uh, make sure that you end up where you plan to end up. It's, uh, and it's moderate, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would call it moderate, yeah, if you, if you want give, to give a certain grade to it, yeah, at least. I've got to say I was very impressed on embarkation day because uh, the cruise director said not once or twice but three times basically if you don't participate in the lifeboat trail you don't sail mm-hmm. has this become more prevalent after costa concordia i suppose so but having said that you know with, with this company what i've always been used to, to a fairly stringent uh, boat drill scheme mm-hmm. that we have i mean that 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 is a culture that I've always known with this company. So in that respect, I, I think it is something that we uh, we should research, sure. learn from, etc. But on the other hand, uh, I, I don't see that many changes as, as such. We've always been very serious, but I do know that our, our senior management in the office is very carefully looking at this and see how we can improve should we have to improve, definitely. Right. He is the master of the MS Zyderdam, Captain Emil de Vries. Thank you so much for being on Cruise Radio, sir. You're very welcome. Very welcome. See you next time again. All right, that's going to do it. Don't forget, we're on the Stitcher Radio Network. It is the best way to listen to Cruise Radio and your other uh, podcast or streaming live radio. It's free, too, for your smartphone. Just go to cruiseradio.net, click on the Stitcher Radio icon, and don't forget to stay abreast of the latest cruise news. You can go to our homepage, cruiseradio.net, and sign up for those instant email alerts in the upper right-hand corner. Simply fill out 
that's your email address. From the Cruise Radio Studios in Jacksonville, Florida, I'm Matt Bassford. And on behalf of Doug Parker on assignment, this is Cruise Radio. Thanks for listening to Cruise Radio. For information on how your company can reach over 100,000 travel enthusiasts a week, email sales at cruiseradio.net. Find Cruise Radio on iTunes, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Just search Cruise Radio.